Good morning. I am Melissa, the founder of A Yogi Kitchen and Pantry. Welcome to Off the Mat. This is where we come together to talk about the lessons that we learn sometimes in our asana practice, our meditation practice, the ones that we do on the mat. And sometimes we talk about those lessons that are essential to yoga, but aren't often taught in yoga class, like ahimsa. We have so many really great things um, today. It's just a busy time. It's that time of year, and there's a lot of stuff going on. So we're going to talk about our word for the session, rest. We're going to talk about the fact that it's Friday, and on Fridays we celebrate. And we're also going to do our first day of grief journal week. So it's a lot, um, and I'm actually going to try and keep it brief and just allow you time to focus on what's important. I'm just going to give you some like little pushing off places so that you can sit in journal, you can sit in your meditation and have some good stuff to focus on and just how to think about how your life all fits together, how it connects. Let's start with our word for the session. So if you're new here, and I say this almost every episode, if you're new, we choose a word to focus on for a yoga session, which is about five, six weeks. And this session, our word is rest. And so I invite you to think about the word rest. All last week, I asked all the different classes and my private clients to just say it to themselves quietly and just notice how the word rest resonates with you. Does it make you cringe? Is it a word that you really resist? When you hear rest, does it just make you sink down and you think about yesterday when you took a nap or a long bath or went for a contemplative walk? So one of the things that I've been doing and I've been talking a lot about is the book Rest is Resistance by Trisha Hershey. I just bought this book. Someone introduced me to the idea of this, well, this book and this woman's work. Hershey's work um, is in the NAP ministry is her Instagram handle. And there's a New York Times article about her. I think it was New York Times called, um, well, they called her, I can't remember the title of the article, but they called her the NAP Bishop. And so I've been thinking about this idea of rest is resistance. And it just really resonates with me. And in it, in the book, Hershey introduces the idea of grind culture being oppression. And this grind, this hustle that we are pushed to do. And that if you look at advertising and marketing out there, grind and hustle culture is pushed more towards black and brown people than others. And I find that, I mean, it's just, it's, it's an extension of slavery, right? It's this idea that you work, 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 and it doesn't matter how you feel. doesn't matter if your back hurts. It doesn't matter if you're pregnant. It doesn't matter if you have a migraine. You just push and you keep working. And it's this idea that has been part of the black, brown culture for a very long time. And we are trading our lives for productivity. 
and ultimately for money. Um, you know, back in, in slave times, it was for productivity. And then as um, slaves became emancipated and black culture shifted to owning houses and having careers, it's still that hustle of we trade our bodies, we trade our minds, our mental health and our physical health, our emotional health to get ahead to be more productive, to have more money. And what is that really saying? It's saying that our lives are dispensable, that, that who we are doesn't really matter as long as we're producing. And this is not just, this is not just culture in the black community. I mean, it's throughout our culture, but it's, it's pressed on black and brown people way more. So Hershey talks about this idea of rest, of deep rest as being liberation specifically black liberation, but liberation for all, because it's not just black and brown people for sure that are falling into this trap of grind and hustle. And it's pushed on women, I would say more than men. Um, culturally, in terms of when you look at advertising, when you look at marketing, when you look at how other women judge us, if you, you know, this whole idea that if you stay home with your baby, you're failing. If you go to work when you have babies, you're failing. And it's just constantly pressure to go, 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 do, do, do. So I've been thinking about that idea a lot in my life. And this week I have been resting more than, even when ease was our month, our word for January session. Um, and I've come to, well, today, especially I'm feeling this way. I, I may feel differently in a couple of days, but I think I'm exhausted. And I don't really push the way that some people do. Like I know nurses who work 12 hour, set, 12 hour shifts, right? And yeah, they only work like three of them only, quote unquote. Um, but, you know, it's 12 hours of being on. And I don't do anything like that. I do do a lot in my life, but I put breaks in. I say, okay, it's this hour of the evening. I'm done. Or um, on the evenings, like I teach one class at 8.30 in the evening. So that means on Tuesday, I don't get up to to teach a class early. I might teach on Tuesdays, but I'm certainly not going to teach like a 6.30 or 7 a.m. class on because I taught a class at 8.30 the night before. And it's not undoable. I mean, it's it's very doable when I'm only teaching at four o'clock and at 8.30 on Mondays to get up and teach a 6.30 class on Tuesdays. Not a huge deal because especially on Tuesdays, I don't have anything else um, till like six. And when I say I don't have anything else, for me, that's always things I have to do. You know, I might say on Tuesday, I, I really want to get the newsletter out. But on Tuesday, what's scheduled, things I need to show up for are very light. So I'm really privileged and I understand that. I have um, a lot of space in my schedule. I have a lot of ability to hang out with friends in the middle of the day or go to breakfast or brunch, you know, three days a week or whatever. Um, I'm choosing a lot of the way I want to spend my time. But about 20 years ago, maybe a little more than that, well, about 20 probably, um, was when I made that decision that I want to be in charge of my own schedule and I'm willing to trade things off. My mom's very worried about me that I'm not, you know, making million dollars a year and I don't have a whole bunch of money stuffed away. And I try to explain to her, mom, I made that trade off. I made that decision a long time ago to make that trade off of I get to control my schedule. I set my prices. I choose the work I want to do. If someone offers or someone wants to hire me for something, 
I can say yes or no. I get to make that choice. And sometimes my bank account makes that choice for me. But that's a lot of privilege to make those choices. And so you would think that rest is really deeply part of my life. And I recognize how often I'm not resting. I'm not necessarily running around like a crazy woman, but I'm not resting. I'm doing silly things like watching more television than I would like to. Um, I'm not setting aside time. So one more thing real quick about rest um, before we go on to the celebration of a Friday uh, is this woman tells the story, and I may have mentioned this last episode, but she tells the story of, it, I'm sorry, Patricia Hers Hershey is the woman. Uh, she tells the story of how her grandmother used to rest her eyes every day for 30 minutes every day. She had a meditation practice, basically. And she says, rest your eyes. And when she, I read that part, it kind of perked my ears up. Because I was like, wait, that's something that my dad's side of the family says. And it's specifically um, my uncle would always say, I'm just resting my eyes. And her grandmother is maybe from Mississippi. She's from the South, like my dad. And I'm guessing my dad and her grandmother are about the same age. My dad would be 87 now. And they're, I'm guessing they're right around the same age. And because she left the South, as my, my dad did, the great Northern migration of, of Black folks from the South to places like Chicago, where I grew up. And I was shocked that they're the same generation. Because even though my uncle used to say that, my uncle was one of those people who would kind of nurse a beer throughout the day. Like it seemed like it was just one beer. I'm sure now as an adult, it wasn't, but he was never like slamming beers. He was never trash, but he would just nurse a beer, at least on family occasions, like at the family gatherings that I was at. Maybe other days he wasn't doing that at all, but at family gatherings he would. And at some point in the day, he would start getting really tired and he'd close his eyes and he'd say, oh, I'm just resting my eyes. But honestly, he was asleep. Like we hear him snoring. We're like, no, you're not resting your eyes. You're asleep. But this woman tells the story of her grandmother actually just resting her eyes. And her grandmother would say, just because they're closed doesn't mean I'm asleep. And I was so surprised because in my family, and I thought this was a, ge a generational cultural thing. In my family, it's you go, go, go. You work, work, work. You're always moving. You're always working. There's no rest. I mean, even like the restful things my dad would do, the things that brought him joy were like, we would go on family trips and go fishing. There was no lie on the beach. We as children did that. And my mom would do it a little bit, but not my dad. He would just, he would say, oh, I'm coming down to the beach with you. He'd come to the beach and then he couldn't sit still. He'd be like wandering around. He'd like, oh, I think I'm going to go grab a fishing reel and bring it down or, you know, whatever. Um, and I feel like that's true for my aunt's family um, and that whole generation. And I think they taught, um, my aunt and uncle taught their kids that same sort of mentality. There's, there's no real resting. You just work, work, work. And if you're not, there's a problem. So I have a cousin who um, has got a lot of issues. He's got some health issues. He's just really had a lot of struggles in his life and he doesn't work as hard as the rest of the people in the family. And there's a whole bunch of judgment. And I don't know that he's resting, but there's a lot of judgment because he's not producing. So those are my thoughts about rest. We're going to keep exploring this idea. Um, but I'm going to tell you more about my experience with rest when we talk about celebrate the wins.
It's Friday and we are celebrating the wins. I love, love hearing from you guys and I get lots of great feedback from you. And I, I love when, um, maybe I haven't seen one of you for a bit and we run into each other, you come to class and you'll say, you know what you made me think about? And sometimes it's so like someone just said this to me about our last session about non-judgment. And because they listened to something in the podcast or read the blog, I can't remember which. And um, in my head, like I've moved on to rest. Like I'm not thinking about non-judgment as much anymore. I'm still catching myself when I do tend to be judgy and I'm still saying things like, oh, it's none of my business and recognizing that that is the work that I did last session in non-judgment. So it's still there, but it's not the thing that's really, you know, on my brain so much. And you guys bring up stuff from the past. Someone brought up something from joy. And I think we did joy like in November. Um, and I just love that. I love when you guys tell me, you know, how this has made your practice shift, how it's helping you grow or unlearn patterns and behaviors that aren't serving you. It's just lovely. So one of the things I really, really love is more than anything else, you guys tend to tell me about celebrating the wins. Um, you know, you'll definitely tell me some of the deeper things, especially the people that I've had as students for years and years and years, but celebrate the wins. People I don't even know will like shoot me an email, mel at a yogikitchen.com and just be like, I want to let you know that I really appreciate this or I really like sank into celebrating this Friday. And that was the first time I've ever done that. And it felt really good to like recognize my accomplishments from the week. So I want to encourage you one to really take celebrating the wins seriously, because I think it's so important. We don't celebrate enough in our culture. And what we do is we wait for the big occasions, right? And my partner is very much like this. He has a really tough time celebrating. And I think celebrating is so important. We should be celebrating our friendships as well as our birthdays and whatever family holidays are important to you and your family. But we should celebrate on a Wednesday, celebrate on a Friday, and it doesn't have to be that huge thing where you bring out the china and the champagne. It can be just, oh, you know what I did this week? So I'm going to share my celebration with you, and Friday's not over, um, so I certainly, I'm leaving space for recognizing more things to celebrate. Um, cause usually uh, when I'm, when I'm talking to nine to fivers, I'm like, all right, when you get to like three o'clock, you gotta, you gotta figure out what to edit to make you feel like you're going to leave the office feeling successful, feeling like, like you got done what you wanted to get done and not like, oh yeah, but I cut three things off my list. That's a big skill being able to cut things off your list. And I didn't know that for the longest time. And it was when I was really starting to do more than just teach yoga classes as part of the yogi kitchen and pantry. When I was writing and creating courses, I just had these completely unmanageable to-do lists. And every single day I was feeling like a failure because I couldn't get through my to-do list. And just one day, I don't even know why this happened. It, no one took me aside and told me, but one day I thought maybe the problem is your to-do list. Maybe your to-do list is not manageable. You can't get that stuff done in a day. And on some level, I'm okay with that. Like I'm okay with moving something from today's to-do to list into tomorrow's to-do list, knowing that maybe I still won't even get it done tomorrow. 
Like that feels like okay to me. I have a lot of things on the back burner often, but I was feeling that way too often. Too many things were going on to the next day's list and then getting put on the third day's list. And it didn't, that didn't feel good to me. And I was feeling like I was failing. I was like, how do other people who work full time, have their own businesses, have kids, like whatever it is, how do they get all this done? And I realized two things. One, there's the myth that we put out there on social media. And I hope, hope, hope I never do that because I feel like it's a disservice to people around me. And it's one of the reasons like I don't do the podcast every day or three times a week. I do it as it feels right. I blog as it feels right for me. I teach classes as it feels right. I mean, I always create a schedule for classes. Obviously that has to happen. But like this session, I'm only teaching, am I teaching four? Four scheduled classes, two online, two in person. The rest is pop-ups. And it's because I want to do what feels right to me. And I want you to do what feels right to you. So Saturday morning at 8.30 does not feel like a good time to get on Zoom. Don't. But shoot me a text, 785-760-5412. Shoot me a text and say, hey, can you do this class but on Wednesday afternoon? And it depends. If it's the second and fourth week of every month, yes, I can do Wednesday afternoon. If it's the first and third month, no, or the Wednesday of the month, no, because I'm at Sunrise Project making lunch, making dinner uh, for their free community meal. So it just depends. And I want, I want it to be that way for all of us. I want it to work for you as it, it feels right. And that makes some people very wary. That makes them uneasy. But I think it's really important to be able to manage that skill, to be able to ask for what you want when you want it. And I'm always so surprised by the people who ask for pop-ups and the people who refuse, who won't. There are people who won't ask for a pop-up, but they'll show up for pop-ups a lot. And that's really interesting to me too. And so it's not for everyone, but it's the way that works for me. And I want that to be true um, for all of you. So my win, <laughs> getting back to it, my win this week is that I deeply rested a lot this week. I um, took naps. I took long baths. I think I took two long baths this week, which on a good week, I get one long bath in. It's kind of my maintenance bath where I do all the, you know, the buffing, the shining, all the stuff that needs to be done for the week. And that's that was my practice a long time ago. And I brought it back this year. Um, it was actually a friend of mine, Melissa, who as a thank you gift in October, gave me this really beautiful candle and some really yummy bath salts. And I started taking long baths. My friend Melissa takes them all the time, like every day. I was like, you take a bath every day? Because to me, bathing, a bath is like maintenance, right? It's just, you get in there and you soak and you get everything softened up and then scrubbed off or whatever. And it is relaxing and I do enjoy it, but it's like a maintenance thing. It's not like a daily, what I don't even know what to explain, how to explain it. And then the rest of the time are showers for me. And so just to get in the tub and just soak and just relax, I was like, oh. So I started doing that in, she gave me the gift in October. So now it's been what, October, November, December, January, February, March, April, May. It's been like seven months now that I've been doing this. And I'd gotten, it had gotten away from me a little bit where I wasn't taking the long bath every week. I think it had been a couple of weeks and, um, I got back to it this week with two long baths and I napped. And then last night I went to bed early 
I woke up at like six this morning, which is normal for me. And I was really tired. So I thought, okay. And I've had a very big emotional week and I've had, it's been a couple, like a month of tough stuff. It's been like three weeks of super busy times where I was just like, I'm going to need to just make sure I take breaks, make sure I hydrate, all that kind of stuff, because I'm going to be so busy that I'll forget. I'm one of those people that can get to the end of the day and be like, oh, I haven't had any water today. Like I've had iced tea. I've had coffee. I haven't had any water, just something just simply to hydrate me. Um, so that's one of my wins for the, the, sorry, one of my wins this week is just, I did that. Oh, I woke up at six. Sorry. And I was still tired. So I kind of dozed till eight. And then I called my sweetie cause he's out of town and he was really tired. And I'm like, you know, we kind of had a big emotional week. Maybe that's what's going on with us. Like I'm hoping I'm not coming down with anything. And so we decided to go back to bed and just kind of doze or just, you know, relax. I actually watched Netflix and just hung out in bed. And then I had some coffee and it's always around the third cup for me where I get energized and I'm not energized, but I do feel motivated to do the podcast. And I just edited my day. I was like, all right, I have to do this and this and this. And then I thought, you know, Melissa, you don't have to do any of this. You want to do one or two of these things. Um, but let's just start there. Let's do the podcast and see how it goes. And so I think at the end of the day, my, my celebration is going to be learning this new skill of rest. Um, and not just like, oh, I need to collapse in a heap, but dedicated time to rest, which will, it also, it works with the other words we've had this year so far, you know, letting go of my judgment. Um, about rest and about how much I produce. I didn't have, I didn't think I had a huge issue around rest. If you said rest to me, I didn't resist. I was like, yeah, let's go take a nap. Rest sounds good. Or the other day we went for a long walk with the dog and the dog is getting older and we haven't been walking in the crappy weather, like the cold or the rain. We haven't been walking. There are years where we'll go out no matter what. And I have friends who go out no matter what, but we haven't. And so the dog was like exhausted. I was like, oh, you're so out of shape, buddy. We got to, we got to walk a lot more. So we all came home and laid down. <laughs> it was, it was very funny. I'm like, oh, huh, family, this is really sad. We went for a long walk and now we all need to just lay down because we're exhausted, but it was good instead of going, okay. And I was kind of energized and I thought I could do more, but also lying down would feel really, really good. So we did that and I'm learning those things. So I'm letting go of the judgment around productivity. So I didn't have a judgment about rest, but I was willing to not rest in for the sake of productivity. And this week I'm saying no to that. I'm like, oh, you can't deeply sink into rest if you have judgments about your productivity, how much you produce in a week or in a day. So it's also bringing so much more ease into my life that when I choose this, I let go of the judgments and I choose this. There's so much more ease in my life. And that feels really beautiful. And what I'm recognizing, and I don't want to push this, but I am recognizing that then when I do have times of productivity, they seem to be bigger. I'm producing better um, without as much effort, with much more ease. And that feels really beautiful. And I don't want to promote rest for the sake of productivity, like rest so that you can be more productive. Cause I, I think that's 
more oppression. I want us to have liberation. I want us to feel free to rest and work as it feels right to us. So that's what I have about celebrating the wins. I'm celebrating the fact that rest has sort of shifted and is sinking down in a new way that I'm really appreciating. Um, and I have a lot of, I have some pride. I can pat myself on the back for this one. I'm like, oh, look at you growing. All right. We are going to talk a little bit about Grief Journal Week. Grief Journal Week is a tradition that I started, I want to say it was eight or nine years ago, where there's a therapist in town and we used to do grief workshops together. Um, and then about five years ago, my dad died. And so a little over five years ago, because now it's he died five years ago this March. So a little over that, we started that process of his last few months. And um, even though I'd already done some grief workshops, I was sort of surprised by how the grief experience really came at me. Um, I, I did a great job of sort of being graceful through his last months, showing up for him, reassuring him that it was okay to go, having conversations with his nurses and his doctors and his social workers, often behind his back because my dad's not the easiest person or wasn't the easiest person. And then after he died, that whole year was all about death. It was that, then a college friend, then my aunt, my dad's sister died six months after he did, which I, at the time, and I still do think is really, really sweet. Like he was the last person in her life still alive, you know, of that generation. And I think she couldn't live. She couldn't kind of picture what this earth looks like without him. And it was very sweet. They talked every single day. So it was just a really big year of grief. And I didn't, I didn't manage the after part so well. Um, that was really, really hard. And then the next year, and you've all heard this if you've been listening in the past, um, the next year, my partner had a stroke and we were very, very lucky that um, he had no, no deficits. And he's fine today. Um, so it's just, so even though his stroke wasn't part of grief, I was deeply in grief when that happened. And um, so there was, you know, there was a really big fear that we are going to lose some part of our lives, that, that how we've been is not going to be how we'll be going forward. Um, sorry, I repeated my too many B's in that sentence, but that's okay. Um, so it was just a really big process. And then last year, was it last year or two years ago, like a year and a half ago, when I started therapy again, my therapist said, Melissa, I think the issue is you're in crisis. I'm like, oh no, all the crises are over. We have the deaths, we had the stroke. And she's like, and then we had a pandemic. And she's like, you've been dealing with these things without an ability to catch your breath. And this is, this is grief. This is crisis and grief going on in your life. And I was like, oh my gosh, how did I not see that? So, um, I really believe in this grief journal work, week work. I, I think it's really important whether you do it with a therapist, whether you do it like in group therapy or, you know, some kind of support group, being able to really acknowledge your grief is important. And a lot of us don't know where to start because it's not something we talk about in this culture. And in fact, when my dad was dying and I was posting a lot about what was going on and then after he died and I posted a lot, because what you guys see is my life. Like I'm not 
sugarcoating anything. It's whatever's happening in my life is what I'm putting out there. Because if I'm going through it, other people are going through it, or you've been through it, or you will go through it. And I believe in being just really open that way. I don't know how to do it any other way. You know, I don't, I don't practice transparency. I'm, I'm not trying to manipulate the followers. I don't have a huge amount of followers, but the followers, I don't try to manipulate them. But I had some people with some very strong opinions. I had two friends that people I've known for a very long time that unfriended me because they're like, you're putting everything out there about your dad's grief. And I was like, yeah, because that's what's going on with me right now. And my Facebook friends are my friends. They're not like, there's a few people that are randomly on there that I don't know that well, but most of them are people I've known a very long time. So I'm feeling like if I'm putting that there, I'm telling you something. And I recognize that's not about me. That was about them. Um, but people have a very, very strong idea about grief. And as a society, we don't talk about it. We started to talk about it more um, in the last maybe five, 10 years. And especially over the last three years, as so many people have had huge losses with the pandemic, whether it's, you know, your career doesn't exist anymore, whether it's family members or friends have died from COVID, um, just the world really changed in the 2020. And we haven't all dealt with the trauma and the grief of that. So I think it's really important. So that's the background about Grief Journal Week. I don't know that I did it last year. I honestly have to look back. Um, but we've been doing it for, I think, like six or seven years, maybe not every single year. So I just want to give you some ground rules. This year, we're doing it a little bit differently. I'm here on the podcast doing the first day. And I just made the decision like an hour ago. I'm just going to go ahead and do this every day for the next seven days. There's going to be grief journal work. Grief journal week work. So you'll get a journal prompt and you'll get a yoga pose. We've never done the yoga pose before. And I've been teaching a lot more restorative lately because our word is rest and you guys are showing up to rest. And I love it. You guys are responding with wants of restorative yoga and like slowing down yoga way more than ever before in my teaching career. So I really, I love that. I appreciate that. Even in my more active classes, we're throwing in restorative poses, which I used to do a lot. And now I'm doing more again. And I'm hearing from you like, oh my gosh, what was that? That was the best pose. I'm like, oh, that's restorative yoga. And people are like, that's restorative yoga? That's not what I thought it was. So I was taught, I was really lucky. I was taught by Judith Lassiter. Um, she was part of my teacher training. And I was taught that this should feel like you're just relaxing on a couch. Now I've heard some other people uh, actually in town are like, just because it's restorative doesn't mean it's easy. I'm like, oh wait, no, that's exactly what it means. But whatever. I feel like I was taught by the queen. I'm going to do it the way that she teaches it or taught it. Um, so if you're interested in Judith Lasseter at all and you're interested in restorative yoga, her book is called Relax and Renew. Um, it's at least 20 years old, probably older than that. Um, but it's it's a really good, good like Bible, like basic. These are the poses. This is why you do these poses. And there's a lot of other people that are great out there teaching restorative. But I say, like, go to the source. And she's not the source. She didn't create this, but she's sort of the big teacher of restorative yoga. So anyway, um, you get to do a restorative pose. Today, let's just jump into it. Oh, wait, one more ground rule thing. So you get to two more. You get to choose how you want to do it. And I don't think there's a right or wrong way. You can do a restorative pose, the one that I give you, to just help you sink down into grief wherever you are, whatever stage you're in. 
And we know a lot more about grief than we used to because we are talking more about it. Um, the stages come randomly. Everyone does it at their own pace. You can stay in one stage. You can stay in anger for years. It doesn't have to happen in a year or three years or five years. It's whatever is working through you. If you are someone who's had a lot of loss, you may find that um, you're kind of stuck at the first stage because as soon as you think you're kind of through that first stage, another death happens, which is what happened to me. I had another loss and then another loss. And so I just didn't get through a lot of that grief work the first year or even two years. Um, so hence here I am five years later and I'm not in anger. I'm not in denial. I'm not negotiating or what's, I think it's called negotiating. Um, but I still am feeling the loss and, and dealing with that loss, not nearly as big as I did three years ago, but it's still kind of part of that. Um, and you should also know that every time you experience a new grief, it's going to bring up the issues, or I'm sorry, experience a new loss. It's going to bring up some of those same grief issues again, and they're going to feel fresh. So like when I had all those deaths that year, it also made me think a lot about my brother who had died like 30 years ago. And that came back up a lot more than it had for years. So just be really aware of that. So you get to choose if you want to do the pose and let whatever's on your mind kind of move into your body, move into your heart, and then grab your journal and journal about your experience. Or you can start by grabbing your journal, write about what you're thinking about the issue, and then get into the yoga pose and let that process and move from your brain into your heart. It's, there's no right or wrong way to do it. You don't have to choose one way to do it over the next seven days. You can do it differently every day. So there's only like two hard facts or not facts, but rules. One is that you need to set aside, I would say 30 minutes, but at the bare minimum, 20 minutes a day to do this work. I don't think you have to do it every single day. Like if you listen to this today and you're like, all right, I'm going to do it tonight. And then tomorrow's packed and you can't get to it. You're not missing out. It's okay to not do it till the third day, but I would try and do it you know, if I'm going to give you seven poses and prompts, I would say do it over the next 10 days, two weeks. Um, don't let it spread out too far because you don't want to be one in that place of that work for a really long time. This, the idea of this is to help you process over a shorter amount of time and then just let it go. And then if you have more grief work you want to do at a different time, do that. But this is just to either get you jump start, started or maybe you're in um, the middle of some grief work and it helps you get unstuck. It helps you start thinking about grief differently. So that's one of the rules, like set aside some time for yourself, try and get it done in like 10 to 14 days maximum. And then the other is about the journaling. So when you grab your journal, and I, I really suggest you have a book set aside for this purpose, or if you have a journal, you're a regular journaler, um, set aside 10 pages, like at the back or whatever. If you like to journal a lot, maybe you need 30 pages, um, which would be about, you know, four pages a day. And sorry, I got, I got stuck on the math there. Um, so set aside like 30 pages at the end of your journal and do it there or just do a separate book. It is best to have a book that you cannot tear the pages out that are bound because there's no mistakes when you journal. There's no oh, shit, I shouldn't have said that, or oh, I don't really feel that way. Um, 
whether it's when you're writing it or like in three weeks when you look back at it or next year when you look back at it. And then what you're going to do is you're going to put pen to paper and you're not going to stop. You're just going to write for whatever amount of time. So if you say, I have 20 minutes today to do this, it means you're going to do 10 minutes in your pose and then 10 minutes of writing. If you have 30 minutes, it's 15 minutes in the pose, 15 minutes of writing. You can play with it a little bit. It could be 20 minutes in the pose and 10 minutes of writing, but try and make it fairly even. And you're just going to write. You're just going to write about whatever you experienced in the pose a moment ago, or you're going to write about whatever the issue is and just pour it out. And like I said, there's no right or wrong. So you don't cross out. You don't tear out pages. What you wrote is meant to be in your journal. And it may not be apparent to you till next year when you look back at it and be like, ooh, look at that. I did not see that for what it was. So those are sort of the ground rules. And today's pose is we're going to do Supta Baddha Konasana. You can look that up. It's called Reclining Bound Angle Pose or uh, Supported Reclining Bound Angle Pose. You want to have a bolster or a couple of blankets folded up. And you're just going to sit on the floor and they're going to be long behind you. And you're just going to lay back on your blankets or bolster, press your feet together, open the knees wide. Relax your arms down. You want your elbows to be able to sink into the ground. So whether that means you just relax your arms down, elbows touching, or if you have to put a blanket or something under your elbows so that you can do that. If you have a bolster and a yoga block, I like to put them up on a ramp. I put them like, I put the, bl uh, the block up on its edge and then I lay the bolster over it and I like to do it against the wall. It just helps me feel more secure. In this pose, you want to have your chin relaxed down towards your chest. So your cervical spine, your neck is nice and long in the back and that's going to help you relax and release into it. And our topic for today is called Let's Get Clear. So every time I start an online course, I start a workshop, that's the first thing we do is let's get clear. So this can be whatever it means to you. Is it, I have so many muddled feelings about grief and about loss right now um, that I just need to like process what's happened. And maybe that means telling the story to yourself, writing the story down. Like for me, it would be my dad first got sick in September. My sister called me on the phone and said, this is what's happening with dad. And he had a fight with my mom and he checked himself into a hotel and the hotel called my sister and said, Hey, your dad needs a lot more care than we can give him. Like he's using concierge services, like his private nurse. And then he had an appointment down the street that day at Northwestern hospital, which is when they told us. So that's the beginning of the story, right? And just going through the story over and over, if that's what helps you get clear. Um, Maybe you just need to get clear about where you are in the process. What stages have you been through already? So let's get clear is really open. Focus it on your grief. If you have had a lot of loss, maybe just pick one. What's the loss you want to work on for this next seven days? So it's not so muddled. So it's not so hard to sort through. And as you work on the one, it's going to affect the other losses and you will feel and see a shift. So that's all I have today is Supta Baddha Konasana and let's get clear. And like I said, you can choose to do the pose first and then journal or journal first and then the pose. And that's our first day of Grief Journal Week. So um, 
the title can be let's get clear you could write that and then um so it's not a it's not technically a prompt i guess but i i feel comfortable leaving you with that and just letting it go and i look forward to hearing your feedback about it and we're just going to take a moment and talk about what's coming up all right it is a super exciting time at a yogi kitchen and pantry and i want to keep this brief because i've been a little rambly today surprise surprise um okay so we are in the very end of april which means um so much is going on okay so next week we are at sunrise project yep we're at sunrise project so i invite you to join us for seva practice which is service from the heart it is a an essential part of being a yogi. It's a part of our yoga practice. So it's what I call practice off the mat. We are going to be at sunrise 10 to 1 on Tuesday to chop vegetables for our um, our rice bowl. Sorry, I had a moment there for our rice bowl. And then on Wednesday, we're there from 10 o'clock until we close at 7. We, we stop serving at 7. So we're usually out of there by 7.15, 7.30, if all the things, all the moving parts go how we'd like them to go. And you don't have to be a cook to join us. And this is really important for any place that you want to spend your time in Seva is you can, you know, say, hey, even if it's an event that like this one is, it's around cooking, any organization is going to have lots of stuff for you to do. So if someone comes to us and says, I want to volunteer, but I don't want to cook. I don't know how to cook or whatever. You have two choices. You can say, I want to learn. Or you can say, what else do you need? And so for us, if you go to their um, website, sunriseprojectks.org, if you're out of town, you can donate and help us feed people. If you're in town and you want to spend some time in your SEVA practice, you can um, just sign up that you click on volunteers and the jobs that are available and the times to uh, the times to um volunteer are there for you to sign up. It's super straightforward and easy. So you can come and you can clean. You can come and you can wash dishes. You can come and hand out meals. There's lots of things for you to do. Um, and if you don't see your thing, still go ahead and sign up and show up and be like, you know what? I would rather wash windows or whatever it is instead of chop. And there's always jobs to be done. So you can do that with us. That'd be really lovely. We'd love to have you. And then the next day we are at, and this is every Wednesday. We No, sorry, every Thursday. We try to be at ECM at KU. It is a nonprofit organization that is not a KU organization. They just happen to be on KU's campus. This was a big trend about 100 years ago. What used to be called Ecumenical Christian Ministries would set up their nonprofit organization near or on campus so that it could serve the students, but it also serves the whole community. So uh, I don't even know how long ago it was, maybe 10 years, but maybe 20 years ago, ECM at KU changed their name to Ecumenical Campus Ministries. And it's an interfaith organization. Um, people think their service is there. I've never encountered anything that seems very, that seems more faith-based than yoga. There's yoga, there's Tai Chi, there's salsa night, there's been karaoke night, and there's a free veggie meal uh, lunch every Thursday from 11.30 to 1.30. ECM has been doing free veggie lunch for 37 years. It's a wonderful, wonderful time. Um, so we go, the Yogi Kitchen and Pantry, we go on the Wednesdays that we can. 
not the first and third Wednesday, obviously. And then we go on, I go on Thursday morning and I hang out. If they need me to help with the meal, I'm there. If they don't, I'm on my computer and I'm drinking some free coffee and using their free Wi-Fi until lunchtime. And then at lunchtime, a bunch of the Yogi Kitchen and Sunrise Project people come together and we break bread together. And so it's part of our Seva practice in that we are creating community. We are contributing to our community with our energy and we get to connect with each other, which is great for each person in our group. Sometimes it's five or six people. Sometimes it's two people. I think it's been as many as 10 before. I could be wrong about that. At least one time we had a whole table really, really full. Um, so join us. That's a lovely time to be of service. And they do, if you don't want to be at Sunrise Project, um, ECM does their prep work Wednesdays starting at four, and they do that every single week. Go to ecmku.org. I believe that's right. Yep. ecmku.org. And you can sign up there and you can also see all the really awesome things they do in our community. Okay, I think that's sort of it until June. I think this is correct. Well, May 11th, I forgot this. May 11th, Sunrise Project and Yogi Kitchen are doing the veggie meal. We will be cooking it. It's actually really going to be under the umbrella of Sunrise Project. Um, we'll be cooking our meal. I'm not sure what we're making yet, but it's going to be really yummy. I'm looking forward to that. And then um, June 19th, Oh, no, no. June 15th, a yogi kitchen will be doing the meal. So if you are a yogi, please help us sign up. Come join us. I'm pretty sure there'll be some sunrise people who are going to help. Um, and I think we're going to do something like hummus wraps and chilled cucumber soup, but I'm not completely sure. It's always a vegan meal. So I have to learn how to make the, the cucumber soup without the cream cheese is what I usually use. Um, but that shouldn't be a problem that I, I've learned so much about vegan cooking lately. So that's my thought off the top of my head, but it might be something different. We'll see. And then um, June 19th, I'm hoping to teach Practices for Peace. So this is a workshop that I started teaching, was it 2012, 2013, when we had a summer of just like every week, it felt like some black man was being shot in the street and it just was scary and it was horrific and then it got worse. But at that time, I wanted to teach this because I wanted us to connect with peace in our hearts and have it radiate out into the world. And I said, I'm going to keep teaching this class or this workshop until this stops happening. And here we are 10 years later, and the problem actually has gotten worse. And now it's been black women. Recently, we had shootings in this country against white, basically children, kids, people in their 20s, early 20s. Um, so it started out as sort of a, um, a racism issue and it's turned into a gun violence and racism issue. Um, and we don't talk about it in the workshop. It's just a chance for you to come together and foster peace. So we'll do that. June 19th is my, my thinking. I'm going to check and see if that's really something that we can make happen, but look for that coming up soon. And then in July, we're starting Breathe Online. So Breathe Online is the yearly course that I teach that helps us deal with our mental health. So it's using yoga to heal, and it's using dialectical behavior therapy skills to heal. It's using mindfulness to heal. It's using journal journaling to heal. 
Um, there's going to be more up about that soon, but mark your calendars. I actually, I put down a date that I think it's starting, but I'm not sure. I'm thinking June 5th, I'm sorry, July 15th, and we're going to go for eight weeks. So this is an investment of time and your resources. It includes um, online classes. It includes yoga classes. And you can, we're going to talk about that. It'll be um, at least one or two dedicated classes for just the group from Breathe Online. But then it'll also, you'll be, have access, free access to regular classes um, that'll be included in the price. It includes some one-on-one -on -one time with me. Um, it's, I, I love teaching this course. It keeps growing. It keeps shifting. It keeps getting better and better. So if you've taken it before, it may be worth taking again. Um, and again, I do it once a year. I'm going to start putting it out there because holy crap, it's May already. So it's, start, it's time to start letting everyone know that it's happening. All right. I hope you're having a lovely day. I hope that you are going to choose to celebrate. It is final Friday here in Lawrence. That's a great way to celebrate. Go out with your friends, buy some art, visit a local restaurant. Um, it's beautiful here temperature wise, but it's a little gray and cool, which kind of makes it nice for like a restful day like we can just slowly celebrate gently celebrate it doesn't have to be a rage um so i hope this leaves you feeling yummy tomorrow's podcast is not going to be this long because i got so much in today um but i'll give you the journal prompt in the yoga pose tomorrow morning have a awesome friday evening